A few days before the NHL draft lottery was held, we found out who was getting inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame for 2020 whenever that ceremony is held. As usual, some very good names were left waiting for another 12 months, including Sens legend Daniel Alfredson. However, a former senator did get inducted. So did Jerome McGinley on his first attempt. And a pair of 1980s fixtures also got the call to the hall. Episode 226 of the Lace Em Up podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Duboff. Uh, the class of 2020 has been unveiled, Brett. Um, there were some omissions, as there are every single year, but uh, Jerome McGinley, first ballot Hall of Famer. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's no surprise there, and same with Marion Hosa as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but first, we're going to actually start off with two bits of current hockey news. Uh, one being that we found out that Edmonton is going to be the host of the Stanley Cup Finals and the Conference Finals, and Toronto is going to be the host of the first two rounds. Um, I guess it's since there are technically five rounds, I'm not sure who's going to take the third round, so maybe Toronto, it's just a coincidence that Toronto will get the third round as well, but um, we'll see. Um, so that that's kind of an interesting bit of news. The other news um, is more serious, that the St. Louis Blues, um, they're like a bunch of Blues players got t- tested positive on Friday. Um, where to the point where they had to close down the practice facilities. Um, of course, uh, we mentioned before that the Lightning also had to close down their practice facilities a while ago too. So um, I feel like if enough teams um, have to close down their facilities, um, then I don't think this thing is going to happen anytime soon. So, um, but. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's not a surprise that America, it it wasn't in the city of America right now because we're kind of in disarray, this whole country is, so I'm not surprised about that, but um, but yeah, I think it's a legitimate possibility that this, this whole tournament won't even happen. Yeah, and I feel like we were saying the same thing when um, the news got out from Tampa Bay that uh, several of their... Yeah. Uh, players and team members tested positive as well and florida was getting wrecked by covid back then today even more so you could argue and just all across america it's in rough shape Uh, this virus is really just owning the u.s and part of the reason like you said brett why both uh hub cities are canadian and i think the sooner they get the players into those sub cities the better because it's going to keep on happening uh, the longer they prolong uh, moving them all over to Edmonton and Toronto. So, um, again, nothing is a slam dunk as we get closer to the target date for when they're going to start playing these games. Um, but definitely uh, 
timing is not on the NHL side, and uh, if they want to get the ship on the road, they got to start now. Yeah, for sure. Um, I will say, though, that, like, it's one thing, like, yeah, obviously Canada is much more safer right now for this disease or not, but um, you, it's still, like, pretty much when the majority of the teams are practicing in the U.S., you know, you still have to think about that. So, um, and it's very possible that, like, a lot of players are going to have COVID before the end of this stuff. And um, and it's still, like, I, I want to know what the NHL is going to do once someone does get COVID during this tournament uh, championship mm -hmm. stuff. Because um, I know it will inevitably happen. I just want to know what the precautions they're going to take. Because, like, let's say, I I, may, I make the example of, like, Bergeron, but it could be any player. But, like, if Bergeron yep. gets it, I I will find it hard to believe that no other Bruin has it um, as well. Because they're playing as a team. They're, they're with Bergeron the entire time. Um, and speaking of Bergeron and playoffs, it's like, it does make me wonder if... Um, because, you know, my biggest pet peeve of playing injured, especially during the playoffs, like hockey players are crazy. So I, I could see there, there being a case where like an NHL team lets a player play while they have this, this disease for some reason. It's, um, so, um, so that's like the crazy part about this whole thing is I just don't know what's going to happen when this happens because it will inevitably happen. Yeah, and before we, we uh, delve uh, into the Hall of Fame, which we will, just a final yeah. point to add. The NHL's also working on an extension of sorts for the CBA. Uh, oh, when yeah. we have more concrete details, we will let you know. Um, but this could supposedly uh, extend the CBA by another four years. It could also involve a flat salary cap, which for contenders is very bad news. Yep. Um, so we'll wait and see on those details, but that's for another episode probably. For sure. So, um, so I guess I'll just, I mean, for Hosa and Aginla, um, so we have these list of Hall of Famers here of guys that are in the Hall of Fame and inducted to the Hall of Fame. Um, I'm pretty sure that we're in agreement that both Hosa and Aginla are like, no doubt deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. Um, you get you say, give me a bunch of these different statistics for both of them, so I'm just gonna read them out, even and then we'll we'll move on from there. Um, but congratulations to you guys, uh, Marion Hosa. He's a first ballot induction. Um, last year was in 2016-2017. Um, he was drafted by Ottawa. Of course, Steve wanted to mention that uh, <laughs> he. He played for four teams, uh, five teams. Um, he played for Ottawa, Atlanta, Pittsburgh, Detroit, and Chicago. I remember there was that time period where he played for both. Uh, he played for Pittsburgh when they played Detroit, and then he switched over to Detroit, and then Pittsburgh won. Um, mm -hmm. So it was confusing. And then we all didn't feel badly for him because... Um, because then he went to Chicago and then won three times while he was there for Chicago. Um, so yeah, he had five trips to the Stanley Cup Finals, seven conference final trips. Um, 
So 525 goals, 609 assists, so that equals 1,134 points in 1,309 games, regular season games. That's 18 full seasons. Um, I'm going to skip a couple of these statistics, Steve. Um, uh, eight years with 30 plus goals, three with 40 plus goals, 11th all time in career NHL shorthanded goals. Uh, he surpassed 40 plus assists five times, 50 plus tw uh, just twice, 80 plus points in four straight years. That was between 2002 and 03 to 2006 and 07. He recorded 100 points in a season once. He's got 341 and 340 shots on goals in his first two years with Atlanta. Uh, which yeah, he, he was elite impressive. early yeah. on in his Thrashers career. And yeah. in 06 07, the Thrashers even went to the playoffs and yeah. infamously got swept by the Rangers. Um, and then lastly, he's he played, uh, he appeared in five career All Star games, which is kind of crazy. Just given how many, what well, all the stats I just spouted out to you guys here, um, that he made five career All Star games. Um, he played for Slovakia at at lots of international events. I believe uh, like Chara, Gabarik, and Hosha are like neighbors in Slovakia. I remember that. Um, and he's praised for his two-way game at pro levels. I believe he had been considered for a couple of Selkies a couple of years, but he never actually got consider serious uh, consideration just because um, of him being a winger. Um, and those sulkies now just go to centers now, but, um, but yeah, I think, um, oddly, I remember like when he was in Ottawa, um, for some reason I was watching sports center in, in sports center here at sports center is different than it is in Canada. If you, if you yeah. can't tell Steve, cause ESPN hardly ever covers hockey at all. So, but I remember there was one year, but I, since I do love football and baseball, um, and occasionally basketball, I sometimes had it on when I was younger. Um, but anyways, they do like a top 10 list. And I remember they showed a Marion Hosa highlight when he was on the Senators. And um, they like there was a highlight where he was literally like going around circles in the offensive zone where like no one was touching him he was literally just going around circles in the entire zone and I was like I found that so impressive that he was able to do that um at such a young you know for, for me being at a young age and stuff so uh by then I was like okay this guy is pretty good um and then when I started watching him play later on when he was on Chicago and Pittsburgh and Detroit I was just thinking like, okay, this guy is actually, um, you know, he's a fast player. He, um, he plays, obviously he plays well defensively too. Um, considering that he's been nominated for the Selkie so often, or, you know, I'm looking at his hockey reference page now, and I guess the closest he got to a Selkie was in 2013, 2014, where he was fifth in the voting. Um, but I guess 
every now and then he gets like a selkie votes um all the time so i find that impressive too that um but it, obviously it's well deserved um 19 years in the league yeah and um i i feel like a lot of people are going to say oh the, you know the the fact that he played in the hawks why won three cups and i'm sure you could say that about uh, quite a few Hall of Famers, but um, the fact still remains, even before he went to Chicago, yep. like there was a stretch of three years um, to pull out a statue Filipovich. Um, this three year period from 0708 to 2009 2010, 0708 was a split season, start off with Atlanta, got dealt to Pittsburgh before the deadline. Then uh, 08 09 was in Detroit. And then 2009, 2010, first year at the Hawks, and he finally wins his first cup. Yep. He made a total of $22.35 million during that three-year stretch, a time when the cap was between $50.3 and $56.8 million per franchise. Plays 268 games during that three-year stretch, piles 114 goals and 130 assists for a total of 244 points plays 300 plus minutes of five on five hockey with each of Ilya Kovalchuk, Sidney Crosby, Pavel Datsuk, Jonathan Taze, and Nicholas Lindstrom. And in every single year he made the finals. Right. So Crazy. that just goes to show you just how dominant of a hockey player Marianosa was in his prime. And in his final season, he scored 26 goals. Yeah. And he wasn't playing as often uh, in his later years. Unfortunately, a skin condition uh, ultimately forced him right. to call it a career, and he plans on formally retiring when his contract ends in 2021. Um, but overall, just a tremendous hockey player. Um, you could argue that he still could have added more to his hockey resume um, if that skin condition didn't cost him. Um, but there were several uh, seasons in his prime where he was a top 20 player in the league. Yep. And like you said, one of the best two-way players in the game. You ask a lot of his peers. You ask a lot of the guys that played against him. They'll tell you the exact same thing. One of the best two-way players they've ever seen. And for a Chicago Blackhawks team like Taves and Kane that just started to learn to win Stanley Cups, Marion Hossa was their definition of a veteran pro to look up to. Right. And not only was he a talented player, but just a good role model to look up to and someone who's just a great human being, very, very humble, and uh, couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. I'm glad he got in. Uh, yeah, some yeah. might argue that it shouldn't have been a first ballot entry, but he's definitely a Hall of Famer. Yeah, that seems kind of ridiculous. It seems like he's a no-brainer first ballot guy, but... Um, yeah. Um, anyways, um, and it, it's interesting too because I guess there was a time period where because the Red Wings won in two thousand nine, I'm sorry, two thousand eight. The the Penguins won in two thousand nine, and then the Blackhawks won in twenty ten. So there was a time period where he was always in the mix for the Stanley Cup Finals, and that's three consecutive <laughs> Stanley Cup Finals as well. Um, which, speaking of which, um, I think I know what you're going to say for this, but of the five teams that he played for Marion Hossa, uh, for, for, for the, sorry, I can't speak. <laughs> of the teams he played for in his career. Yeah, which one do you associate, which team do you associate Marion Hossa playing 
for the most? Oh boy. Um, see that that's a bit of a tough one because if the Sens don't trade for Danny Heatley, I think Marion Hosa is an Ottawa senator for a lot longer. Yep. But I think part of the reason why he was even traded in the first place is because um, there was concern they wouldn't be able to afford Marion Hosa, and that's part of the reason why he got traded to that's Atlanta right. for Danny Heatley. That. Yeah. Um, so I think there are probably bigger issues at play that inevitably led to Marion Hosa playing outside of Ottawa. In my heart, he'll always be an Ottawa senator. In my mind, he's probably a Chicago Blackhawk. Yeah. Because that's where he won three cups, and he still had a lot of great years with them. So yeah. I would probably associate him with Chicago more than any franchise. Yeah, I was going to say Chicago as well, um, mostly because that's when I started following the league more closely. But um, also, according to hockey reference, he played eight years in Chicago and seven years for Ottawa. Um, three years in Atlanta, and then one year in Pittsburgh and one year in Detroit. So, um, yeah. All right. And like it's it's not it's not like um, I I think a lot of people will argue that you know guys like Patrick Kane were the star of the show in Chicago when Hosa arrived. Yeah. Um, but in his time with Ottawa and Atlanta, he was the guy, undisputed, no question. Yeah. He carried the offense, um, of the teams that he played for. Like yeah, Alfredson was good. Yes, Alexei Yashin was good in Ottawa before he left for the Islanders. Um, yes, Kovalchuk was good in Atlanta, but I think Kosa was the straw that stirred the drink. And um, you look at his prime years in Atlanta, his first two years in Atlanta, like you mentioned with the shots on goal and the point totals, best point total came with the Thrashers when he got 100 points. He did that with Atlanta. Right. So that's, that further exemplifies how, how good of a player he was, what he could do when he was the guy offensively. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, let's go to Jerome Ginla. Jerome Ginla. Uh, first ballot induction, like Marion Hosa, also was a first round pick in uh, from Dallas um, in '95. Um, by the way, uh, Marion Hosa was drafted in '97, so Ginla's uh, two years older, I guess. Um, anyways, the teams he's played for, uh, Calgary, of course, Pittsburgh, Boston, which there was that like confusion on trade deadline day where it seemed like Boston was going to get a Ginla, and I was so excited, and then like I remember texting my friends like, I can't believe we got a Ginla, and then like I find out like an hour later that he's actually going to Pittsburgh. Um, and then it ended up not mattering. Oh, and then that year was when Boston actually beat Pittsburgh in the yeah. Stanley Cup playoffs. So um, yeah, not even not even beat them, swept yeah. them in the conference finals. Right. Um, and then uh, and then he played and then he signs with Boston the next year, and he yeah. was a part of like the best team that the Bruins had ever seen. Well, I guess that's that's <laughs> a lot a lot to live up to, but. Um, it was impressive considering that we just traded Tyler Sagan um, and he was kind of our replacement there. And you could argue that I don't think the Bruins have found that replacement for Aginla since. Um, so we've still been looking for that second line right winger um, to take uh, Aginla's spot, but um, and it hasn't happened yet. Um, anyways, he goes to Colorado. 
Um, and then he goes to the LA Kings. Um, he's never won a Stanley Cup, but he did make an appearance in the final in 2003 and 04. I believe that was when the a Lightning won with uh, Martin St. Louis. Is that right? Yeah, and uh, the series that probably a lot of Calgary Flames uh, fans think should have gone to Calgary, oh, right. but uh, that infamous Abby Bullen kick save yep. ended up being a save and uh, not reviewed. Yeah, whatever. That's reason. right. Uh, I forgot about that. Yeah, so he was he was very very close. That's probably the closest he's ever gotten to winning a Stanley well, Cup. Well, you have here like, that not, he... even, not even games, not even game six of that series, yep. but game seven as well. Yeah, he did make the conference finals. Um, again in 2012-2013, but that was when the Bruins beat him um, that year. Um, and then, uh, so he has only made two conference finals in t- those um, in 20 years. Um, he has 625 career goals, 675 career assists. That means he has exactly 1,300 career points in uh, 1,500, uh, 1,554 games. I think that, that must mean that his points per game is pretty crazy. Um, mm. Let me just do the, I have a calculator here. Um, he has a 0.83 points per game. That's pretty nuts. Um, all right. Uh, he, uh, he, uh, he has... 12 years with 30 plus goals, four with 40 plus, and two with 50 plus. He got 30 uh, plus goals in 11 consecutive NHL seasons, six years with 40 plus assists, two years with 50 plus, um, six seasons with at least 30 PowerPoint, uh, power play points. Uh, he never hit 100 points. He did surpass 90 points three times, though. Uh, two time Rocket Richard, one time Art Ross trophy winner. Six-time NHL All-Star, three straight trips um, at one point with, in 2002 and 2004. He also has a Ted Lindsay Award. He also has a King Clancy Award. He appeared on four NHL All-Star teams overall. He had that Olympic gold medal in 2002 and 2010, unfortunately for me there. Uh, he has a World Junior Gold <laughs> in 1996, a World Championship Gold in 97, a World Cup of Hockey gold in 2004, and he also has his number retired by Calgary. Um, yeah, so um, I'll share the good times that I, when I just, I already mentioned it when he was in on Boston, it was like, I was so excited. Like originally the year before that, I was so excited as I had just mentioned that of the possibility that the Bruins were going to get him. Um, and then it turned out that the Penguins ended up getting him. But, um, but that just shows how excited I was because I thought that would have been the deal breaker um, to get that cup uh, for him that year. And I guess that's like the big what if, if like the Bruins actually had, if he had decided to go to the Boston instead, but um, that year. But um, like, I feel like the Bruins could have been in the Blackhawks that year um, if we had a Ginla. Um, instead, but I mean, such is life, I guess. But uh, he had 11 points in 13 games for Pittsburgh that year, and then for the Bruins, he had 61 points in 78 games, which was 
crazy impressive even as a 36 year old um, which is usually around the time when players start getting as good as they as we think they are um, I thought like when he moved to Colorado that that would give him a good shot at being the cop like I was like alright he doesn't want to be in Boston but at least like he has a good chance of going to Colorado and making some noise but he never got a chance there I think that was one year where Colorado wasn't good at all that year or something like that um, well I, I remember when he arrived in Colorado I believe that was the year Patrick Waugh won the Jack Adams for oh, coach that's right. of the year and you know you had the likes of McKinnon and Landis Cog yeah. on there and they had Varlamov who had a great year in, in the net yep. and the the, the his first two seasons like I think he even got 30 goals in his first year yeah or no he got 29 and 22 in his first two years with Colorado he had 30 in his lone year in Boston but still like close to a 30 goal season in his late 30s is pretty damn impressive and it just didn't work out for Colorado and halfway through his final year split between the Avs and the Kings Yep. That was the year Colorado was in really rough shape. Like McKinnon played a full season, didn't even get 60 points. And um, basically Colorado uh, was the worst team by a country mile yep. in the league that year. So, yeah, it didn't end well for Ginla. Yeah, it did not. But um, at least, you know, I think – and then I guess, like, I kind of, like, buried the lead here because he played for 16 – years in Calgary that's what he's most known for like when you imagine him you think of him in that Flames jersey and it's kind of like you know when you think now back uh, like it's unfortunate that he never got a cup on those teams and he only got a chance once um, and he was their best player that year um, I guess uh, Mika Kippersoff as well was pretty good um, at that same time but um, like he was a driving force for even making it that far and it just shows that like he was just a good a really really good player on a on a bad team for so long um, and he, he kind of had that Ray Bork type status to him where uh, just the Flames just couldn't uh, build around him um, and he was still really good despite the the team around him so i i always find that impressive and sure he'll never he never won a cup but um i think he's i think it's like a no-brainer that he's a first ballot hall of famer um and yeah his um i you know i just wish that he you know he does he did get that cup but i guess it'll, ne it'll never happen so yeah, the, the thing with the Ginla is um, you do mention a, an interesting point about Ray Bork. It's a little yep. bit different in terms of uh, Jerome's case and uh, and uh, Ray Bork's case because in Ray Bork's prime years, the, the Bruins were pretty good and like they were playoff contenders. Sort of, but there yeah. was a time for almost like a full decade where the Flames didn't even make the playoffs. Like, yeah, Ginla from. 96 97 to 0203 didn't play in the playoffs period not a single postseason game yep so imagine 
the amount of playoff points, the amount, amount of playoff goals he could have posted if the Flames were a little bit better. And I think that's part of the reason why the Flames will always think of Jerome as the face of the Calgary Flames. Like, a lot of fans like me weren't around for the times where they had Laney McDonald and Doug Gilmore and Mike Vernon when they won the Cup in 89. Right. Um, our, our events of the Calgary Flames were with Jerome McGinley as the face of the franchise. And this was around a time where the Calgary Flames couldn't afford to keep all their star players. And they, outside of Jerome McGinley, they were lacking in a lot of areas. And similar to Matt Duchesne, similar to John Tavares, Jerome, in the prime of his career, could have said, you know what, I'll test my luck elsewhere. It's been fun, but I want to win a Stanley Cup. He remained loyal to Calgary for all those years. Yep. Many years of his prime NHL playing days were wasted in Calgary, some might argue. And he was very, very good individually. And he was the face of the Calgary Flames for so long. But the team results just never followed suit for him. And it's unfortunate, but um, just to basically dedicate your entire career to one franchise to spend your the prime of your career there even if there were probably better chances to win in front of you and yep. you could have left at any time um just shows to how much of a humble character that jerome mcginlow was how loyal a character that he was and i figure i should do it justice by saying his full name jerome arthur lay at a Kunle Tig Jr. Elvis Aginla. That whole name should be on his plaque yeah. because it's about as long as his accolades and he deserves this honor tremendously. Yep. A big tip of the hat to Drew McGinla. Um, yeah, two other things and then we'll get going. Uh, one, because uh, I, I was looking at, because I had forgotten that he was drafted by the Dallas Stars initially and then never, I was looking at the Never played thing. a game for them, by the way. Yeah. He, he is. He scored the most goals by a single player drafted by that organization, and he never played for them. But uh, yeah, so he's traded from the Dallas Stars uh, with Corey Millen to the Calgary Flames for Joe Newendike. Um, mm-hmm. So Joe Newendike ended up winning a cup for the Stars that year, um, or not that year, but this was in '95, so a couple of years later. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's a trade that the Stars want to have back. For sure, um, and um, because yeah. you take a look, you take a look at Newendike's numbers. Like in his first four NHL seasons, he got at least forty goals, and his first two seasons, he had fifty-one in right. each of his first two seasons. Never hit forty goals after he left Calgary. Yeah, for sure, and also and Aginla did that what four times? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. I um, and then I also want to say that um, that I mean, like we haven't really talked about it too much, but um, it's also like it, he's also done wonders for because like hockey is mostly a white sport, um, mm-hmm. and I think this was uh, the first like he's probably the. I'm trying to think if there's another better one that's even close to Ginla, but I think he's probably the best black hockey player um, of all time. Um, I guess maybe Willie O'Ree um, is the only one that's close. Grand Fuhr. Grand um, Fuhr is one, yeah. But um, 
other, but like I think Aginla, I th- I think Aginla was better than both of those guys, anyways. So, um, and it says here that he was the fourth black player inducted after Grant Fuhr, um, a women's hockey pioneer, Angela James and Willie O'Ree, um, were the other two, uh, the other two that were inducted, um, according to Wikipedia. So, um, so yeah, um, so I find that also interesting too um mm-hmm. and that that's uh, one year where he won uh, the ted Lindsay award that goes to uh the player's choice for league mvp and i believe theodore won the hard trophy that year because he was just ridiculously good for the canadians but um if it wasn't for jose theodore he could have added a hard trophy to his resume yeah. in 0102 he was that dominant yeah so now we have uh uh, guys who waited 20 plus years to get in <laughs> um, to talk about. Uh, the first one we'll talk about that's less controversial is uh, Doug Wilson. Um, he, as I just mentioned, he, we, he waited 20 plus years to get in. His last season played was in 92-93. Um, he played for two teams, the Chicago Blackhawks and the San Jose Sharks. Um, he was drafted by Chicago in 1977. Um, he was a six-round pick that year. Um, no, uh, six he overall. was six overall. Sorry, yeah, six overall. Um, and he also played um, in the, uh, I guess he was also in the WHA draft that year, back when that league was around, um, where he was the fifth overall pick in the first round there. Um he never played in the WHA though, so that's kind of interesting. Yeah, I'm, it was uh, it was with the Indianapolis Racers that drafted yeah. him. I I'm trying to uh, think back. Was that before or after they signed Gretzky? Because that, that's, uh, Gretzky's sure. first professional contract was signed with the WHA's Racers, and they it didn't work out, and he ended up getting traded to Edmonton. That's that I'm not play. sure. We'll have to look that up. But, but yeah, the, the, the racers um, at least had an eye for talent. So Well, it, it doesn't matter because I don't think he played in the WHA anyways. Yeah, no, the so. records don't show that he did, but the records show he was drafted there. Yeah. Also, today is his birthday, according to Hockey Reference. So, yay. Also, by the way, should be noted, born and raised in Ottawa, so another Ottawa connection. Yep. And he played his uh, junior hockey career with the 67s, actually has his number retired by them, right, too. Right, you, you have this year, too. Of course you mentioned that. <laughs> he played uh, 16 NHL seasons. Uh, NHL seasons. Uh, first year was in 1977, so the year he was drafted, he he played. Um, he had uh, 827 points, 237 goals, 590 assists in 1,204 regular season games. Uh, you wanted me to uh, let everyone know that he's a defenseman, so. Mm-hmm. Um, that is impressive considering he's an, uh, a defenseman. If he was a forward, it's not as impressive, but that might be why he was a little bit more underrated when he was playing. Um, he, uh, he played um, in 95 career playoff games with um, all with Chicago, because um, I believe he only played in two regular seasons with the Sharks. Um, so yeah, that makes sense. Um, 39 goals in 1981-82, 3 with 20-plus goals, and 12 with 10-plus goals 
Um, 10 years with 30 plus assists um, and eight with 40 plus and then three with 50 plus. Five seasons with 30 plus power play points, nine years with 50 plus points, three with 70 plus career high was 85 uh, points. He was the winner of the 1981-82 Norris Trophy, seven All-Star games, um, and he also had five consecutive straight All-Star games in that, from 1982 to 1986. He made three NHL All-Star teams in his career, uh, named first captain in San Jose Sharks history. Of course, what we all know him more for now is uh, he's a current GM for the Sharks. Um, and he made the 2016 finals, uh, five trips to the WCF as the GM of the Sharks. Um, but I believe he was inducted because of, um, of his actual play, not just because he's a GM, but I'm sure the voters are like, oh, he's a current GM, let me look at his stats. So I'm sure that kept him in the, in the running all these years because of his current job right now. And of course, as uh, Steve just mentioned, his number is retired by the Ottawa 67s um, in 1998. Um, that's uh, number seven, which was what he played for. Um, yeah, and I think like, you know, it's, yeah, it took him a while to actually get into the Hall of Fame and his numbers don't stand out as much as Aginla and Hosa does obviously, but um, I think just reading out all these stats and considering the fact that he's a defenseman um, just just shows that he does deserve to be in the Hall of Fame, um, and it, I don't know, I'm sure he's he's relieved that he's at least now in the Hall of Fame, um, and he's still in the NHL um, just as a GM now. Yeah, and like even when you look at the seasons where offensively the numbers weren't there, um, there was one season uh, where he played with the Chicago Blackhawks, and um, I'm just uh, trying to find exactly uh, where that season was. Oh, yeah, 87-88, uh, only played 27 games, got eight goals and 24 assists for a total of 32 points. So didn't average like the 40 to 50 to 60 or anywhere upwards of that. Um, he didn't have the point totals there that season, but considering he only played 27 games and he got 32 points, that's over a point per game pace. So in a full season, um, he could have had another 60 or 70 point season there. Uh, his final two campaigns with the Sharks, he had nine goals and 19 assists for 28 points in 44 games. That was his second last season. His final season, three goals and 17 assists for a total of 20 points in 42 games. Um, so even then, that's like half a point a game. That's still pretty good. Uh, his first two NHL campaigns, he had 34 points and 26 points respectively. Um, so in terms of like points per game, those are probably some of his lowest totals, but then he just erupted and he would get like anywhere between like 40 to 70 points a year from then on. And like this guy was a double digit goal scorer defensively, which is impressive. The 39 goals that you mentioned is absolutely crazy. Like you never see a defenseman today's NHL or any NHL score that many goals. I believe the only, there are only two other players 
that uh, scored more goals in a season in terms of defensemen. Uh, I believe Bobby Orr and uh, Bobby Orr, and I think it was Paul Coffey that was the other one. That um, they're the only two defensemen in NHL history with more goals in a season than uh, than Doug Wilson. And in terms of overall points uh, from his playing days, the only three defensemen that had more points than Doug Wilson were Paul Coffey, Ray Bork, and Larry Murphy. And all those guys are in the Hall of Fame. Yep. So when you look at some of the legendary defensemen of the 1980s, and most, and you realize, oh yeah, this guy's in the Hall of Fame, this guy's in the Hall of Fame, but Doug Wilson isn't. Um, this guy absolutely... In the 90s, he had the credentials. In the 2000s, he had the credentials. In the 2010s, he did. In 2020, he does. And if he wasn't getting in as a player, you could argue that uh, he could get in as a GM too because his GM career has has been just as successful. Um, So I'm glad he got his time. Uh, He definitely deserved it. Yeah. By the way, Wayne Gretzky was in the league the year after. Um, Um. uh, Doug Wilson got drafted, so um, mm-hmm. they wouldn't have been on the same team anyways. Um, and uh, also, uh, I found out that Wayne Gret like the WHA uh, disbanded in 1979, so Doug Wilson mm-hmm. would have been in the NHL eventually anyways. So. Um, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> speaking of Doug Wilson, uh, just an FYI, in terms of all-time goals amongst NHL defenders, he sits 12th all-time. In terms of all-time points by defenders he ranks 15th yep um kevin lowe is uh also got in this is the most controversial pick now um i guess we'll talk about that pretty soon of like who um who was left out but um this was a pretty controversial one here uh just because speaking of gretzky uh it seems like he was uh primarily was in because he was with Gretzky and uh, Messier all those years. Um, so he waited uh, 20 plus years to get in like Doug Wilson, although his last season was 97, 98. So he waited a little less um, than Doug Wilson had to, but um, he played for two teams as well, Edmonton and the Rangers. Um, he was a first round pick in um in 1979 for Edmonton. He's a six-time Stanley Cup champion, five with Edmonton, one with the Rangers. Um, So he won in 84, 85, 87, 88, 90, and then, of course, 94 with the Rangers. Uh, 19 NHL seasons played uh, from 1979 to, uh, to 1997 to 98. Um, He has 84 goals, 34, 347 assists, that's 431 points in 1,254 regular season games. Um, I'll skip the playoff stats because I didn't do that, but he played in 214 playoff games, 30-plus uh, points in six seasons, 40-plus points in uh, three years, and a career high was uh, 46 points. He has seven, he was in seven All-Star games. He also won a King Clancy Trophy winner. um, And uh, he was also the GM for the Oilers uh, for eight years um, in 2000 to 2008. Um, 
and then he stepped down after that. But um, yeah, I think this is it's just reading that all those stats. It's less impressive. Um, of course, he's also a defenseman too, so like his stats don't um, hold that much. You know, it's hard to just uh, equate them from just from their stats. So I should should note that he does have 260 plus as a plus minus um, in his career, which is uh, pretty good uh, for a defenseman. I know plus minus is kind of a bad stat in the first place, but um, <laughs> that is pretty good just from like a overall perspective. Um, and yeah, I think. This is an interesting one, as I just mentioned, because he, his teammates were Wayne Gretzky and Mark Messier um, and Yari Curry and all those guys. Um, it's hard to know exactly how good he was without those guys. Um, and but so, like, I guess, like, you know, winning six Stanley Cups is not nothing to sneeze at, obviously. But um, it seems like that was his only contribution in the NHL, um, worth noting really. Um, so yeah, uh, I don't think he should have made the hall. Um, so there, there are two sides of this, um, argument. Um, for, first of all, clarification, um, because there weren't as many teams, um, being selected 21st overall, Back then, he's a second-round pick. So my apologies, second-round pick, not a first. Uh, yep. But still, a top-20 pick, that's still pretty impressive. Um, at any stage um, in the NHL's history, top-20 pick is still pretty good. Um, the fact he only played for two NHL teams and was a mainstay on the Oilers' blue line is also very good. Um, Kevin Lowe wasn't asked to play the offensive side of defense. He was asked to be a shutdown player, and he did that very well. He was also a character guy, a guy that a lot of people in the Oilers dressing room respected. Uh, guys like Mark Messier, guys like um, Wayne Gretzky. Um, a lot of guys turned to Kevin Lowe for leadership. So in that sense, he is a Hall of Famer. Um, very highly regarded. Paul Coffey, um, basically said to a few members of the media, it's about damn time you finally got in. Hmm. Um, they, they felt he was deserving of the call to the hall. Offensively is where the argument is put into question. And part of the argument against Kevin Lowe uh, going into the Hall of Fame is the Stanley Cups because those Stanley Cups come with an asterisk. Yes, he won in 84, 85, 86... Um, an 88 or uh, 94 uh, sorry 94 or the <laughs> I can't speak now uh, 84 85 87 88 um, 1990 uh, 1994 were the years that he won Stanley Cups and in the first four Stanley Cups you had Wayne Gretzky, you had Paul Coffey leading the offensive charge. You also had uh, Yuri Curry as well. Um, the Oilers were a very, very good team overall. And some will argue that uh, Kevin Lowe benefited from the success of those three guys and what they brought to the Edmonton Oilers. And I think that's a bit of a fair argument. Even in 1990, when the Oilers left, they still had the likes of Mark Messier, 
Esatikin and Glenn Anderson. So they still had a pretty good team. They even had Peter Klima, who posted uh, some good goal-scoring numbers in the NHL in, in his career. Uh, and then you go to 1994 with the Rangers. That team won the President's Trophy with Mark Messier, with Brian Leach, with Mike Richter. They had Adam Graves, who had a stellar goal-scoring campaign as well. Before the deadline, uh, they had Mike Gartner, a veteran 30-goal scorer. They had Tony Amonti, a rising NHL star at the time. So that team was loaded with talent as well. And they also had Alex Kovlev, who was a talented young forward that uh, also turned out to have a very good hockey career. Um, so when you look at even his success with the New York Rangers, a team that had the pre- that won the President's Trophy that went to the Stanley Cup Finals and finally won the Stanley Cup. You look at that and you go, well, I guess he was the benefactor of that team too because that team was just as good as some of the Oilers teams. So when you consider the asterisk with those Stanley Cups, uh, you could make the argument uh, that he wasn't worthy of the Hall of Fame. And you also look at his point totals. Like an average Doug Wilson offensively is still better than Kevin Lowe offensively at his at the at the best year he's ever put forth at the NHL level but again as I mentioned before Kevin Lowe wasn't asked to be that offensive defenseman like Paul Coffey he was asked to be a leader who shut people down who kept the puck out of the net and he was a leader on those teams he did his job and when he was asked about what it meant to, to be in the Hall of Fame uh, he was shocked like a lot of us. He honestly didn't expect to get in, um, but he played his role. He earned a lot of respect, and um, he waited a long time for this honor, and I congratulate him on it. But um, whether he likes it or not, there are going to be people that doubt he's even in there to begin okay. with. And it's unfortunate for him, but... Um, you look at even some of the people that were left hanging by the Hall of Fame again, and there are going to be arguments compiled against Kevin Lowe saying this person should have got in, that person should have gone in. Pick your poison. Um, there are a lot of guys that probably should have gotten that call than Kevin Lowe. Um, but I, 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 where I stand on it, I'm not sure if he's a Hall of Fame defenseman. At worst, he's a really good defenseman. I don't know if he's Hall of Fame good. Yeah, I I guess I'm like, I see your point, like that since he was a defenseman, it's hard to do those stats and stuff. But yeah, I think just offensively, I don't think it's there yet. And we're about to go over some guys that um, should be in before uh, Kevin Lowe. And uh, it's like, it seems like those guys should have gotten at least so yeah we'll see i don't know um anyways uh let's go to and i think there's also a bit of a because he wasn't that good of a gm for edmonton all those years it's also like a bit of a it's like the opposite of doug wilson basically because doug wilson was able to he was a good gm and of course he was a good player too but like um it, it helps his case that he knows hockey from a managerial standpoint as well. Um, whereas for like Kevin Lowe, it's like he, um, he kind of ruined the Edmonton Oilers 
um, back in the day. So it's kind of uh, now you're like, oh, Kevin, why did Kevin Lowe get in? He was terrible as a GM, and that's like the last impression that a lot of people have of him. Um, I, I will say he did have like a, a multiple ownership roles with the Oilers, yep. uh, front office roles, uh, not just GM. Like before and after he was GM, he was still uh, with the Edmonton Oilers in some capacity, in some organizational capacity. And even when he was the GM of the Oilers, they made that shocking run in 2006. So True. There, there were some good moments there. Um, they did do that pronger trade. That's that's fair. Yeah, de- <laughs> definitely. When you look at the overall um, resume of Doug Wilson, and you compare it to Kevin Lowe, Kevin Lowe did all right, um, but Doug Wilson uh, did very very well. Yeah. So uh, I definitely agree with you that Doug Wilson is the better GM than Kevin Lowe, um, and both were good players in their own right. Um, but uh, doesn't take away from the fact that. Uh, Kevin Lowe's 0506 Oilers um, almost gave Canada one heck of a party because that yeah. team was really fun to watch. It was something right. else. I guess that's fair. I forgot about the Oilers in that that year, so it's fine. Yeah, they were a few goals away from the from a Stanley Cup title, and had right. Rolson not got injured in that final series, they maybe could have won it. Yeah. Um, okay, so these other two are more. It's hard. I don't have too many stats on them, um, as you'll see in a minute, but. Um, but uh, they are definitely worth mentioning and worth it a lot. Uh, so the first one is uh, Kim St. Pierre. She is a Canadian goaltender, um, and you have your women's hockey legend, so I assume she's huge in Canada, which makes sense uh, considering what I'm about to read. Um, she's most notable for winning a game with the McGill College men's team, and I guess she was the first women to beat a men's team in uh, in history um, in like a professional type setting although I guess college sports is not really professional but you get the gist um, it's still noteworthy yeah. it's still still noteworthy and pretty cool um, even still um, uh, yeah so you have that she has a solid resume in Canada's Woman sings. I was trying to find her stats somewhere, but I couldn't find it anywhere. Um, yeah. But I do have that, or that you have here, that she played pro hockey from 1998 to 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, she has an Olympic gold medal um, in 2002, 2006, and 2010. She has an IIHF women's gold in 1999, 2000, 2001, 2004, and 2007. She has an IIHF women's silver in 2005, 2008, 2009, and 2011. And she has four nations gold medal in 2010 um, as well. So, um, yeah, you know more about her. Um, and I, I, I guess the only thing that I, I wonder, it's like, it seems like she's well-deserved because I can't find any more stats about her, but just the amount of accomplishments she already has, even without the stats, is pretty impressive. Um, oh, it says here on our Wikipedia page that she, was, she also made women's ho- ice hockey history in 2008 when she tended gold during a practice session with the Canadians. Um, because Carrie Price was out with a flu, 
So she was the second woman in NHL history to play alongside NHL players since Manon Room in an exhibition game. Um, so she played in practice for um, for uh, the Montreal Canadiens, um, and she uh, she referred to the experience as priceless, <laughs> which I think think is pretty funny. Um, yeah. They said that, uh, oh, and also she said that Alex, Alexei Kovalev put a wrist shot past her ear um, and, it, like, it just missed her mask and deflected off the crossbar. So she almost got hurt, but uh, she said that that experience was priceless, which I think is funny. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely a moment of a lifetime. And as you were rhyming off the amount of medals that she won, nine career gold medals, four silver medals across... Um, years of international play. Um, I know that in terms of women's ice hockey, it's Canada, the U.S., and pretty much everybody else. Yep. So to this day, there is an asterisk true. to that. Like Canada and the U.S. are pretty much leading the pack, and everyone else is far behind. But, but that, like you, you're saying that, so like I feel like you're saying that to discredit her. <laughs> no, no. I, I'm I'm just I'm just pointing out I'm just pointing out the obvious like. When, when you take a look at gold, silver, and bronze for a lot of women's international events, yep. even today, not just then, but even today, Canada and the U.S. Um, are usually in it in some capacity words, whether it's gold, silver, or bronze, they're just a step ahead of everyone else. And it's been like that for many, many years. Um, I don't know what that says about the sport, but it's just dominated mostly by Canada and the U.S. Um, and in 2006, um, Team Canada's women's Olympic team was 2005 World Junior level. Like, everyone yep. remembers that World Junior tournament where you had Bergeron and Crosby and they were just destroying everyone in sight. That was pretty much the same at the 2006 Winter Games in Italy. The Canadian women's team had the likes of Haley Weckenheiser, Carolyn Ouellette, right. who was eligible next year, by the way, for the Hall of Fame, Jaina Heffer, Daniel Goyette, Cassie Campbell-Pascal, Jennifer Botterill, Jillian Apps, and Kim St. Pierre was on that squad. She was the starting goalie. During that preliminary round, Team Canada won 16 to nothing against Italy, 12 to nothing against Russia, 8 to 1 against Sweden, in the semis, they faced Finland, they win 6-0. In the finals, they faced Sweden, who stunned the U.S. in the semis, and they won that game 4-1. So in those five games, Team Canada pitched three shutouts, only gave up two goals, both to Sweden, okay. and just schooled everyone in pretty much every single game that they played. Yep. And she was at the forefront of that monster squad. So she definitely played a role, uh, and that Canadian team as a whole was very good and she was their goaltender for many, many years. And um, the medals prove it. Yep. Um, and I think the it'll be better for women's hockey if the likes of Sweden and Finland and Switzerland and, and Russia are up to Canada, are up to Canada's standards and the US standards of excellence. Um, because when that happens, then I think really women's hockey is gonna take off. Mm -hmm. um, when you see more of those international talents getting the call to the hall, um, yep. but mostly been Canadian and American born players. 
Yeah, that's a fair point. Um, so I have two things and then we'll go on. Uh, so I actually found her stats on Elite Prospects. I guess they have some uh, women hockey stats here. Um, she played, uh, so she, she has a very impressive resume if you guys want to go to Elite Prospects and find her because I don't want to do what I did in, for the Prospect uh, series. But I will say that her most impressive season was when she played in the CWHL for the Montreal Stars um, and where she played in 15 games and she had a 9.13 save percentage and a 2.3 GAA in 15 games. Um, and then in 2007 and 08, I guess they didn't include the save percentage uh, for her, but she had, in 10 games, she had a 1.51 GAA um, in 10 games. So, um, so yeah, that's still impressive with like being in a, a like a women's hockey league and forgetting about Canada and US um, or you know international play but actually playing amongst the women's best hockey players uh, she, she still was a dominant hockey goaltender there so um, so yeah that's pretty impressive still um, I guess the other thing that I wanted to mention is it's kind of like so it's weird to me that like it feels like there there can only be one women inducted every year. Like it it feels like there's just just put all the good ones together one year and then go from there because I feel like it feels weird just to have like a token women induction every year. Just like they're all qualified, just put more than one person every year or at least do that or something like that. I don't know. Um, but anyways, yeah, because I, I think, I think it's, it, it's important to recognize, um, the talent of the, yep. the Canadian and the American and, um, all of the famous, um, talents in women's hockey. It's, it's more than okay to acknowledge those talents because, yep. um, they're just as talented in their own right. At the same time, there are going to be a lot of, um, people that watch NHL hockey that I'm sure are probably thinking, gee, you know, that spot could be used to select somebody that's waited a long time to get in. Like one of like, say, Daniel Alfredson or Theo Fleury or right. some of the other names um, that didn't get accepted this year. So I, I kind of see your point there. Um, I do I do think it's important to, to do that once a year just to like um just, just for the sake of like women's hockey, keep them included every single year. So I, I get why they're doing that, um, but I also see the other side of the argument too. Yeah, I, I guess that's a fair point, but like at the same time, it's like, like it, it shouldn't matter that NHL is far more important, uh, more popular. I must said important, far more popular than um, anything that women's hockey has done. But like a way to even make more more popular is just you know have more spots for women hockey players specifically at least do that or something like that but i don't know yeah or, or like more induction spots in general too because yeah, it's only too. like five players and it's five players and one builder yeah that's a good point too all right we go to uh ken holland is the, won the builder award speaking of the builder um, he's the longtime GM of the Red Wings, now the GM of the Oilers. 
Um, he drafted. He was drafted um, in the twelfth round in 1975 by the Toronto Maple Leafs. He appeared in four NHL games as a goaltender, um, but we're not going to talk about his time as a player um, because he was a scout for Detroit in uh, Western Canada after playing days ended. Um, he's He was the seven years as the director of amateur scouting, three years as the assistant general manager, and then he served as the GM for the Wings from July 1997 to May 2019. Um, and then he signed deal to be the Detroit senior VP before leaving for Edmonton. Uh, he won three cups in that run, uh, 98, 2002, and 2008 with the Wings. Um, and then he assembled that phenomenal team in 2001-02, which we talked about last week with uh, not feeling sorry for the Red Wings. Um, and he also drafted guys like Datsuk and Zetterberg, yeah. which is important because it's one thing to draft guys like Lindstrom and uh, Yeiserman who were heralded much before they were even um, in the league but to draft guys like Datsuk and Zetterberg who were six and seven rounders um, and have them make a huge impact in the league is um, pretty incredible um, and a big reason why he's still even in the league for the for the Oilers because we also talked about them too with the Oilers is that the Oilers have a bunch of first round picks that uh, really really uh jumped up but um but it's all the late round picks especially that uh, they need help with so ken holland's there to to uh, improve the the scouting just because of the datsuk and zetterberg picks um specifically um of course he's uh he's worth it for or he he deserves to go in as a builder here um, he's a big reason why the Red Wings were so ses- successful all those years. Um, yeah, and I you didn't even mention this, but the the Wings did uh, make the playoffs for 20 straight years, which is uh, pretty incredible and something that I don't think we'll ever see again. Um, so, so yeah, and a, a, and a huge credit to that for which would be from Ken Holland. Yeah, and I think um, to, to add to your point, and I did later add it into my notes, um, before the salary cap came into effect, uh, Mike Illich had pretty deep pockets and Detroit had a great atmosphere and all the stars wanted to play there. So they had that aura of like getting all those good players. Um, but then when they went to the salary cap era in 05-06, following that big lockout they had in 04-05, um, everyone was on the same playing field um, financially, so the Red Wings didn't have that edge of having deep pockets. They had a salary cap to abide by. And from 2005-06 to 2015-16, a, spe- a stretch of 10-11 straight years, they were in the playoff mix. They had a chance to win the Stanley Cup. Um, so the fact that you know, they made it for like 25 straight years. Yes, is one thing. But as the league expands and then they introduce a salary cap, um, at some point they're expected to falter. And they did get a little bit weaker towards the tail end. However, they were still a threat. And in 08, they were a threat. They won in 09, they were a threat. They were one game away from winning the cup again in 2010. They go from like Chris Osgood to Jimmy Howard. They still have a great regular season. 
Um, and guys like Jimmy Howard, Nicholas Cronwell, he also drafted Gustav Nyquist, Johan Franson, Yuri Hoodler, the list goes on. He drafted a lot of great talent for that Red Wings team. And they were competitive for many, many years. Um, so you're right, Brett. Not just the fact that they won the cup, but the fact they were always in the mix, no matter what their roster looked like, they still had a shot. Um, definitely something that should be recognized. And uh, you're right, probably something we won't see again. Yeah. Um, so now we talk about the snubs here. Um, and um, I think, uh, so Daniel Alfredson is a big one uh, for you, of course, because yeah, you love him. Um, and I could see it, but I think he was always—he's always been a borderline uh, Hall of Famer to me. But I wouldn't be upset if he got in, but not surprised if he—if he never makes it. Um, Alexander McGillney has gotten a bunch of buzz now recently um, as to why he's got—he hasn't gotten in. Uh, Theo Fleury, Curtis Cujo, Pierre Turgeon, and Paul Henderson. Are all the other options um so i think um okay um i'm just trying to think of how i can talk about this uh so which of those guys should have been inducted in 2020 um daniel alfredson uh yeah i think he should have gotten in instead of kevin lowe um i think the biggest snub though is alexander mcgillney though um Based on this one stat alone that I saw from Cam Robinson, um, who's on Dauber Prospects, but um, in particular, um, he said that players who are behind Alexander McGillney in career goals per game, um, Luke Robotai, Joe Sackick, Timo Solani, Ilya Kovalchuk, Steve Yeiserman, Peter Bondra, and Evgeny Malkin. So all those guys have less point goals per game than Alexander McGillney. Um, he played in 16 years in the NHL. Um, and uh, yeah, like just looking at his stats, a thousand, he had 1,032 points in 990 games. So more, like, more than a point per game um, in his career um, in 16 years, which is pretty incredible. Um, he's, you know, he was one of those Russians like uh, Pavel Bure and Fedorov and all those guys back then. But it seems like he's never gotten the recognition just because he had he was playing for Buffalo, Vancouver, and New Jersey and Toronto, which were never good those couple of years. So, um, yeah, I think he does deserve um, recognition and should be in, but. Um, yeah, kind of crazy that he's not. I, oh, I guess he, he did win the Stanley Cup in 1999 in 2000 for New Jersey. Um, but it's just incredible that he, ha he has over a point per game and he's not even recognized um, still. So, yeah, he deserves to be in. Um, I assume you're going to talk about Tingle Albertson um, as well. Yeah, I, I will, but I'm gonna. I will mention something about McGillney because I definitely think he he should have been included. Um, you also forgot the fact that, or or maybe you didn't mention it, but he left Russia at a time where you weren't supposed to leave Russia That's without facing point. serious consequences. Like this was one of the few cases at the time 
um, where if the Russians found out you were leaving them for the NHL, they would be pissed, they would find you, and if they got your hands on you, um, you would probably be disciplined pretty bit, uh, pretty heavily. And uh, it was it was dangerous. Like you were fearing for your life if you made this life changing decision um, to leave a guy that was so pivotal um, to hockey history, not not just his statistics, but to hockey history. To leave him out of there continuously is some highway robbery. And I think he had the credentials to be included this year. Daniel Alfredson, I'm disappointed because I think this was ultimately his best shot. And when you look at some of the NHL legends that are still playing, the longer Alfredson goes on without getting inducted, the more he's going to be pushed out by those first ballot locks, those Hall of Famers like Yager and Luongo and Joe Thornton and Patrick Marlowe. Um, And I thought 2020, a year where there wasn't too many shoe-in first ballot Hall of Famers, um, I think you could have really made a solid case for Alfreds in getting in, which is which is why I was disappointed. It's more disappointed than than pissed that Alfredson got snubbed, even though he's one of the highest scoring Swedish forwards to ever play the game. Um, and you could argue whether or not he's he's got the numbers to be in the Hall of Fame. Um, I think this probably was the year to include him. It was probably his best shot. Um, I will also give a shout out to Curtis Joseph, a stellar goaltender for many years. He is a guy that gave decent teams a shot at pulling off upsets in the playoffs. Um, the Blues in 93, they swept Chicago, uh, forced Toronto into a tough seven game series. Cujo was a part of that. The Oilers upsetting the Stars in round one in 1997. Cujo led that charge. In Colorado, 1998 Oilers upset a top a top seed in the West again. Cujo once again at the forefront of it. Then in 99, first year at Toronto leads them to the Final Four. Does it again in 2002. One up 454 games played in over 900. Doesn't have that Stanley Cup, but in my opinion, everything else to be a Hall of Fame goaltender. So uh, I I think yeah, he'll get in at some too. point, but. Um, I think he could have gotten in this year as well. And Paul Henderson, I'll say it once, I'll say it again. It's a crime he hasn't been in the Hall of Fame all these years. It's a crime he's been left out again. Yeah, that's another good one. I will say, though, and this gets us to our next topic, too, is that uh, next year, uh, Henrik Henrik Sedin, Daniel Sedin, and Henrik Zetterberg are all um, eligible to be in the Hall of Fame. So that's all, and they're mm-hmm. all first ballot Hall of Famers. I don't think you would argue yeah, with that. Yeah, 100%. They're all, so, all three are getting in. So that means that there's going to be two spots for any of those guys, and um, it just makes it that much harder. And, yeah, you're right. For, like, even guys like Alfredson or Theo Fleury, um, you know, like, this was their year to potentially get in because – other than Aginla and um, and Hosa, it, it didn't seem like you know you have three spots and one of them goes to Kevin Lowe. It just it just seems kind of crazy to me. So um, yeah, I think um, maybe one of these days uh, there's a lot of guys that are worth it, but um, yeah, I don't I don't know when when it will happen. Um, maybe they'll wait like uh, Kevin Lowe had to, or Doug Wilson had to, um, or even like Rogi Vajan had to a couple of years ago. So, um, 
Yeah, that about does. I, I will say I'm 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 very glad that the Hockey Hall of Fame isn't like the Baseball Hall of Fame, where if you go for like ten or fifteen years and you haven't been inducted, they basically close the door on you and you never get in. Yeah. I'm glad the Hockey Hall of Fame doesn't have that rule, and you can go like forty to fifty years before you get in. But um, I'd much rather honor the legends before they pass on. Um, Example, Pat Burns, when he should have been in the Hall of Fame and didn't get in until after his death. That's what I don't want to see with guys like Paul Henderson. I want them to be honored while they're still alive. It's funny, when you mentioned the Baseball Hall of Fame, I was just, because the bigger controversy is how they haven't let a lot of the steroid guys or Pete Rosen. So I was like, <laughs> I was thinking like, wait, are you going to say that like there are a couple of cheaters in the Hockey Hall of Fame now? Um, so. No, 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 no. I... I, I just I just think it, it it would be unfair for like someone to just like oh you know like we we favored these guys as first ballot hall of right, famers no, no, but no. Uh, you'll get in next year oh by the way if you don't get in next year you never will no 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 I, I get it from like now that, that but when you seem right to me when you first brought up the baseball hall of fame I thought you were like going to talk about because the common thing when you bring up the baseball hall of fame now is all the the steroid people haven't gone in. Or Pete Rose. I thought you were going to mention something that I yeah, haven't even thought of. I think of. the only guy in, in my memory, and this is before the time I was roaming this earth, but I do remember the name from stories. I think probably the most disgraced man in hockey that I think was revered in hockey for the longest time, but when word got out of his wrongdoings, um, they never forgave him for it, was Alan Eagleson. Oh yeah, that's probably that's probably the one name that you look at hockey history that you just want to forget. That was Bobby Orr's agent, right? Who screwed him out of the deal, like a long time ago. He he had a bad rap sheet in a lot of different areas, and I think Bobby Orr's case was one. one But I think that's just one of many sins that um, when people found out about it. probably never wanted anything to do with again. I thought I thought you were going to mention Don Cherry given his recent transgressions cuz yeah. he's in the Hall of Fame too. Yeah, that that's a debate for another day, but yeah. Alan Alan Eagleson is is a different case. Like that guy shouldn't be honored. Luckily Mike Babcock isn't going to be in the Hall of Fame anytime soon, so that's good. <laughs> yeah. He would have been other if if all this other stuff hadn't come out, so um, yeah, he'll certainly be he'll certainly be waiting a while if he does get in. Ever, yeah, that's true. All right, that about does it for us. Um, you can catch us on SoundCloud and Spotify and iTunes at Lace Them Up. Our um, our Facebook is Lace Them Up. Our Twitter is Lace Up Podcast. That about does it for us. Um, I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve. Well, sir, we'll talk again in episode 227 of the Lace Em Up podcast.